I'm ready. All right, cool. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody, and welcome to You're on Mute. This is Pastor Elise. And Pastor Mary. Hey, Mom, how about you uh, tell the folks what this podcast is about? This podcast is about uh, millennials and baby boomers. Oh, let's start over. That was stupid. <laughs> that you threw me. Bad. I didn't realize that was going to be the first question. <laughs> you didn't think I the, don't, you I didn't, didn't think, you didn't oh, think the let first. Let me consult my notes. Consult your notes. You didn't think the first question was going to be, what's this podcast about? I don't know. I just wasn't ready. For Christ's sake. <laughs> Flip your pages to the description. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? <coughs> yes. Now, what if I throw you off and ask you a different question? I know. Don't do that. <laughs> just the part you're editing out. I don't know. This is gold. <laughs> this just might be the whole first podcast is this banter. I mean, I've, it's been running for 16 minutes now. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. No, man. I've captured all of it. <laughs> yeah there might be some things to cut out i know, I know you so. said are you ready and i'm like you didn't even push anything <laughs> and yet you said nothing <laughs> you think i turned it on with my mind <laughs> trusting you oh Jesus. yeah maybe your computer works differently than mine i don't know i know through telekinesis <laughs> you ready Hey, everybody, and welcome to You're on Mute. This is Pastor Elise. And Pastor Mary. Mom, why don't you tell the good folks out there what our podcast is about and how we came up with it? Yeah, welcome to this uh, introductory episode one of You're on Mute. One of the things that we know that we've learned in this past, oh, I don't know what, year and a half, 100 years, whatever it might be. Something like that. Um, so many of us have been on Zoom calls, and um, we've all laughed about the fact of the folks that you have to say, hey, Harold, you're on mute, turn it on, and spend five minutes watching them look for the button and still not be able to find it. It's on the bottom left right. of your screen. So uh, it's just, it, it has exhausted millennials, I know. Oh, yes. <laughs> dealing, dealing with that. So we thought that would be... Um, a really good catchphrase for what we really want to spend time talking about, which is some of the differences and gifts that generations have, specifically millennial generations, because Elise I is, am a millennial. is a millennial. I would like to different. I'm a late millennial or true, early millennial. True. They are even wiser. Makes me even wiser. 1986. What, what? That's right. And I am a solid baby boomer. That's right. Hello, everybody from 1956. <laughs> we are rocking the world, people. <laughs> You're rocking something. That's right. But part of what we've discovered, or at least I think I have, and I know Elise has, we've talked a lot about it, is that um, while the generations can, you know, talk smack about each other mm -hmm. on a regular basis, yep. that... We really, generations are and always have been, we're different, and but we are differently wise. So I understand that millennials know things and see the world in a way that I don't and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And instead of battling about it, uh, we just really feel that we need to talk more about it, especially in the church as 
uh, professional leaders, we're pastors or other people working in the church as, uh, as deacons and folks in congregations. So you are our target audience, but mm-hmm. also we are hoping that those who don't know much about church at all or have some ideas about church that um, may need some help, uh, the unchurched as well as those who are just kind of unsure about all this religious stuff. We're hoping to be able to answer some questions and talk about some topics that matter. Yeah. And I mean, considering I am just a younger version of you, right, exactly. uh, we, we do we do happen to agree on many, many things, yes. probably more so than a lot of boomers and millennials, but uh, we still kind of come with, with a lot of different experiences, which is cool. I mean, you obviously were kind of the trailblazer generation of, mm-hmm. of women in ministry. And and uh, I'm, I, uh, in no way is my path paved, but it's, right. uh, it's, it's a good lot. Po- I mean, good point. Yeah, it's a lot, um, it's a lot clearer than uh, the uh, thick forest that um, mm-hmm. your generation had to chop through. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you feel like you need to carry a machete at all times, but... Uh... You might. Depends on what I'm preaching. Depends on what I'm preaching and what <laughs> yeah. kind of council meeting I'm walking into. Yeah, but uh, but no, not 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 as much as uh, on different issues. On different issues, yeah. absolutely. So, so we'll still uh, we'll still get into it on a we couple will. things. Um, and uh, we also are hoping that folks kind of send us their opinions or their experiences. I know a big inspiration for this podcast was. Uh, some posts on Facebook where mm-hmm. people were asking each other on a clergy page, um, you know, what are some, what are some kind of awful is a strong word, but what are some things that you hear from folks, whether in your church or outside who find out you're a pastor that is just kind of off base. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was sharing with you some of the answers that I saw uh, from my generation, and um, and we were just kind of commenting back and forth, and realized, quite honestly, how funny it was uh, <laughs> to, to compare the two things, mm-hmm. um, but also kind of how much we uh, can and are learning from each other um, as we minister very different communities, but um, you know, are kind of able to mm-hmm. chat about things as we go. Right. So maybe we should tell folks a little bit more about ourselves. Yeah. Um, so let me just, uh, this is Pastor Mary, and my name is Mary Anderson, and uh, I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. I'm currently working uh, for the South Carolina Synod. That is our um, local judicatory uh, in that area. Big word alert. Big, whoa, big whoa, word alert. Whoa, judicatory. Our, our group of Lutheran churches in South Carolina. So there we go. For... Um, for those uh, churches and for our bishop, our synodical bishop, I work as an intentional interim. So when a congregation is um, between full-time pastors, I go in and help them out during that time. And uh, so I've been in ministry for 38 years, mostly serving in parish settings and church settings, either in South Carolina um, or the other half of my time in the Metro Chicago Senate area. And um, I think that, you know, when you were talking about differences, so I became aware, I've been a lifelong Lutheran, so I don't know anything else for myself personally. But I know that when I was uh, growing up in a rural congregation outside of Columbia, uh, there were no women pastors anywhere. 
and that's because they weren't allowed <laughs> at that yeah. time when when I was growing up and it wasn't until 1970 that um, that our Lutheran Church in America decided that there really was not and should not be anything that would stand in the way of women being ordained. But Shout that did, out to Liz Platts. Yes, exactly. That doesn't mean it happened overnight by any means. So, And then in um, when I was in high school around 1972 or 73, so this was three years after that, but seemed to me like a pretty big decision. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd never heard nobody in my congregation that I was growing up in said anything about, oh, now women can be pastors. Yeah, go for it, kids. I know, not a thing. I think they were hoping that if they didn't say anything, it would somehow just go away uh, <laughs> or <laughs> would never happen. Those pesky women. I know. But we do have uh, one of our Lutheran seminaries, which is a, a school, graduate school, for people who want to become pastors and deacons or lay leaders in the church, is located in, in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And so one day, I don't know how, but... I happened to hear that there was a woman who was actually a student at the seminary. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. And I was at that point um, planning to uh, go to medical school. That's what I thought, um, thought God was calling me to do. Mm -hmm. But boy, the minute I heard that, um, and her name also happened to be Mary, which was interesting. <laughs> but the minute I heard that, it was just like, literally light bulbs went off you know yeah. you, you hear about that but and I, I just I dropped out of my biology class and uh, um, decided to decided that this was the path that I was going to be on but it was really very interesting not having any role models whatsoever yeah I know a lot of uh, I hear a lot from um, women of your generation who say the first the first female voice they heard from the pulpit was their own yeah which had to have been a uh, crazy experience right kind of kind of scary in a lot of ways yeah very much so and when I was uh, when I became a pastor when I was ordained in uh, 1983 uh, there were only three of us in the whole state yeah who were Lutheran yeah. women pastors and you were the first to I was the first to be a solo pastor in my in my own congregation so that was yeah. cool pretty rad yeah and my husband is a is a Lutheran pastor as well so we were on that journey together yeah craziness. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'm Pastor Elise, and uh, Pastor Mary is my mom, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I had definitely a different route. I mean, for me, growing up, uh, we primarily went to your churches. You oh, know, yeah. Dad kind of bounced around a little bit more or was really involved in campus ministry or, or nonprofits and things like that, and, um, and so we always were you know solidly in the pews of, of your churches mm -hmm. and um, even with uh, dad being a pastor as well I I was always far more comfortable with with a with a woman pastor even when I got older and was in college or mm. or or grad school round one as I like to call it um, I, I mostly sought out churches that had women pastors mm. at least on staff if not the solo right, pastors right. no offense dad you're great <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was just different. And so, uh, I'm, I'm kind of more of a, a typical millennial story in a lot of ways in, in that I'm a second career pastor. So, um, you know, I, you know, grew up obviously in the Lutheran church. I mean, I'm your typical pastor's kid. 
or as my 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 yeah my grand my grandpa called me a PK squared. Right. Well, my sister and I both were PK squared. Right. They even had sweatshirts with that on it. We did have sweatshirts with that on. It was pretty funny. Um. Uh, so yeah. So I I I kind of joke now that I should have seen this this coming, but I didn't at first. But I always got the question like, "You gonna be a pastor like your parents?" And I was always like. <laughs> no way <laughs> this job seems crazy <laughs> right um it is uh come to find out but um so i i also saw myself in a medical career which is kind of funny um and uh ended up um really getting interested in athletic training and sports medicine and uh pretty much from the time i was 15 on that's what i wanted to do and so went to went to college for it um became certified on by the national boards uh, went to grad school because that's just kind of what she did. You went and you were mm-hmm. a graduate assistant somewhere. So I went to Georgia State and was the athletic trainer for um, the women's softball team there for two years while I got my master's in sports medicine. And then um, I, I kind of started discerning my, not necessarily a career change, but what I wanted to do with my education as an athletic trainer. I, I started to feel a little... Well, I started to question really like how, how am I really helping the world, you know, by, you know, keeping college students on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if any of my old softball girls from Georgia State happen to be listening, they're probably screaming at, at the speakers because mm-hmm. we had a, a great relationship and, mm-hmm. and um, I'm actually performing a lot of their weddings now. So, <laughs> I, so uh, it's kind of instead quick. of taping their <laughs> ankles, yeah, instead of taping their ankles, I'm, 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 I'm marrying them off, which is actually pretty cool and, <laughs> and full circle. But um, so I, uh, I kind of chased a different dream of mine to serve internationally uh, in some capacity as a volunteer, I, I thought about Peace Corps for a long time, um, but with my certification, it was too long. So I, I had to look for kind of a different, a different path, and it was actually Dad who, who sent me the the link to the Yagam program, the Young Adults in Global Mission, which is a very popular program um, in the ELCA's Global Missions structure. You want to say what ELCA is? Yeah, we're yeah we'll get a little more into the ELCA, but ELCA stands for Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And so we'll, we'll talk a little more about yeah, that. That's structure. our denomination. That's our denomination. Yeah. Um, and so the ELCA has the Yagam program, as it's affectionately called, and basically sends, uh, at the time I was doing it, it was 19 to 29 year olds um, into the world to serve communities for up to a year. Uh, accompaniment is, was kind of the big um, uh, buzzword. buzzword. And, um, and so, you know, we... We technically were called missionaries, but we weren't sent out to evangelize. We were going to already very well-established Christian, if not Lutheran, communities. And so I ended up going to South Africa. And, uh, you know, kind of hindsight's 2020. That experience really is what turned the tide for me. Um, You know, it kind of renewed my faith in the church as an institution and its openness to young people and the roles that young people could play in the church. Um, I had, I really struggled through college and grad school to find a church home, um, which I know at times freaked you and dad out a little bit. (laughs) I was always kind of constantly reassuring you, like, I still have my faith. I just don't have a church. Um, and so when I got back from South Africa, uh, you know, I was like on fire to find a church home and I found one in Atlanta where I was living, um, and working for an orthopedic surgeon at the time. And, um, you know, I became the token young adult 
on like every committee, even, even in such a big congregation where I was, I mean, this congregation had like four services a Sunday, thousands of members. And, um, I still managed to find myself, you know, overly involved. And so, um, it was like 2012. So I'd been back in the States for about four months at this point. And, a young, a young female pastor who was on staff at my church, uh, Sayward, was preaching a really beautiful sermon on Reformation Sunday, and I just heard this like voice in the back of my head telling me to go to seminary. And it's super cheesy, but I mean, I I truly believe it was like the voice of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so, it was so loud. I actually turned around. I have to ask: Was it a male or a female voice? I can't remember. Oh, neutral. Man, neutral gender, neutral voices. Wow, that's interesting. It is interesting. It could have been like my own subconscious voice, you know, who knows. But um, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. Mm. I don't really have a memory of it being either. That's interesting. Mm. We'll talk about that more later. We'll talk about that more later. Um, Tune in. So, uh, you know, I at first really fought it. I thought like, you know, a lot of my friends from Yagam were going to seminary. So I thought like maybe that's just what I should be doing too. Mm-hmm. And I just found myself like more and more curious about what they were doing and what they were learning. And and every church I belong to, it, you know, as a pastor's kid, it is quite a learning curve when you are just suddenly another member of a congregation. You kind of go from having the key to every door and kind of being somebody special mm-hmm. to just like being another face in the pew. Yeah. And so I, I also wrestled with, do I really want to be a pastor or do I just want to be special? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do I really want to be a shepherd or do, do I just want to be a really good sheep? And so, you know, definitely wrestled with that for like another two and a half years, really, because mm-hmm. um, I went on to teach high school and do athletic training there. And I remember when I first told you and dad, you guys laughed at me, actually. Well, dad did. And you just kind of got a great look of concern on your face. like <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> like, have you really thought about this? Mm-hmm. Really? Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I ended up going to seminary in Chicago um, to one of our ELCA seminaries. And um, the hook for me was realizing that I could actually, um, I could actually kind of also focus on uh, another world. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave healthcare completely. So um, kind of the double, the double major uh, pulled me in initially, and then after my first semester in seminary, I realized I really did want to be a full-time parish pastor. So, did my time in Chicago, and then my internship out west, and uh, now I'm a year and a half into my first call in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I uh, was intrigued by, what's interesting is we got, like, I pulled some new things out of your call story, which I feel like I know pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole thing about was that voice in your head, male or female, or something? Because yeah. we're going to talk in another episode about God yeah. and gender, language, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that you just said too, that I thought was pretty amazing. I've heard you say this before, but this is what's so cool about conversation and continuing mm-hmm. to talk about stuff is that you hear different things yeah is that you and your sister um has talked about this as well you know when you're a pastor's kid and you're in a congregation immediately everybody knows you because yeah. you get introduced your picture might even be in the newsletter whatever mm-hmm. yeah so you immediately get introduced and everybody wants to know you yeah right 
And then when you switch roles and you're not a pastor's kid, you're a Mm non-PK, you feel like you're just another butt in the pew. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to learn about that, about how we treat people who visit our congregation. Mm -hmm. Because they're probably coming too, wanting to be somebody special. Right. and And we often treat them like they're not. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's that's something in general that the church universal has got to work on is is not being so clicky, right? Right, and not, you know, I've got real issues with the with the term "all are welcome." You know, those mm-hmm. those banners that we see flying everywhere. It's like, well, okay, we need to we need to we need to think more about who we really mean by "all" and right. what we mean by "welcome." And so, yeah, I think. Um, you know, it's funny, too, because even in seminary, there was a bit of a dividing line between those who were pastor's kids and those who weren't. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times people thought us who were pastor's kids got more name recognition, got our, really? got our oh gosh, yeah, got our foot in different doors, got, you know, different kinds of scholarships or different kind of support. Huh. Um, but what well. was also funny is what people, what I don't think people realize is when you're the PK in the moment, you're very special. Mm-hmm. But when you're family or your parent who's the pastor leaves that congregation you you get kind of iced out you know in some in some cases Mm -hmm. I mean I you know the congregation I really grew up in um you know I I haven't had a ton of contact with I mean none of the congregations Mm -hmm. that you and dad served at um you know it took me a while to figure out what my home church was mm-hmm. because it's pretty much just wherever you guys are that's right and then it gets taken away from you and then it gets taken away really through quickly. no choice yeah. of your own yeah so i actually had friends who weren't pastors kids but their families were long standing members of their congregations and they actually got more support either financially or emotionally from congregations than i did mm-hmm. i mean i'm lucky that you and dad both have good re- good reputations so le- i hope <laughs> for the most part different kinds but <laughs> right um but uh you know so when people found out my last name was anderson the first question was are you marrying frank's daughter yes i am and it was like oh my god and it kind of was like this crazy crazy yeah. thing especially going to seminary in chicago where our family was for such a long time right so you know, I always joke that uh, I can't get away from you guys. Just people know you everywhere. Uh, but, uh, the tide is turning a little bit. Of course it is. Yes, because <laughs> when I uh, what was that? 2000, 2019? When was the uh, churchwide uh, assembly? Oh God, I don't. I know. think anyway. I'm so bad at keeping. Yeah, up with the that. last one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Whenever that yeah. was. <laughs> the last one was. Sorry, Bishop Eaton. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, we apologize. <laughs> we're not remembering that. <laughs> but so I was. Uh, my husband Frank and I were there volunteering. We weren't like voting members or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think maybe you were. Were you a senior in seminary? But anyway, just out. Yeah. And. Um, and we had people coming up to us because Elise and I look so much alike. It's scary. Yeah. So coming up and asking us, I just want to, I don't mean to intrude, but I just want to ask you, are you Elise's mom? Hey, you know, hello. Hello. And then, you know, the tide was turning. It <laughs> felt just like when she was in daycare. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, <laughs> little kids would come up, are you Elise's mom? <laughs> 
That's but it was, people. it was really cool to see that, you know, the kind of that next generation was, mm-hmm. you know, developing their own stuff and their own colleagues and, yep, yep, yep. and uh, issues that they cared about. So it does happen. It does happen that the tides turn eventually. And, and I mean, and that's kind of what this podcast is about. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like a chance to have those conversations and, and uh, you know, learn, learn the history and, and learn kind of both the successes and mistakes that previous generations have had and how right. we don't make them again and and how you know we can uh, we can move forward i mean you you've always you've always told me and it's always really freaked me out uh, but also kind of in an inspirational way that my generation has to save the church <laughs> in in some way and uh I think it, I think you base that off of the fact that about every 500 years mm-hmm. um, there's some huge reformation and we're in year what like Five, yeah, five oh five or five oh four now. Five oh three, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I also recall when I was a started out as a pastor at age twenty seven in a rural community, and um, you know I would go to like clergy cluster mm-hmm. meetings once a month back when that was a big thing. Like everybody yeah. did that. People don't do that anymore, which is another. Um, problem in trying to get the generations to talk to each other. If you never have any place where you really gather and talk, where you trust each other, it's a problem. But, yeah. you know, and we can talk about, but gosh, I remember, of course, I was the only woman in the group. I was the only woman in any church group. I'm for, the only woman in my cluster yeah, right see, now. Yeah, see, it continues. Yeah, still a thing. But I remember seeing, you know, some of those pastors who were younger probably than I am <laughs> now, um, but kind of in their late 50s, early 60s, mm-hmm. and they just looked and acted worn out. Yeah. Uh, you know, bored with the call, uh, sometimes talked about how they just didn't have anything new to say in yeah. sermons. Yeah. And so then being, you know, what was the millennial generation back then, <laughs> right. being the youngest, um, you know, you sort of felt like, man, I got to get out there and save this church because these right. guys are done. Yeah. <laughs> they are toast. And so I think that's always going to be the general shield. And you can oh, remember yeah. this oh, yeah. in 30 years. Yeah. That um, as you see other new mm-hmm. folks coming along who are like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I got to I gotta dig this container ship out of the Suez Canal because. <laughs> with my shovel. With my little shovel because. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, at this point. stuck again. At this point with my generation, there's a lot of fear of, is there even going to be a church to save in 30 years? Mm. You know? I mean, I, I constantly hear all the time the church is dying and this mm. and that, or it needs to die. And, you know, I've always had some issue with that. You know, I don't think the church, I don't think the church in what it's in what its core is supposed to be, which is a group mm-hmm. of people living out the gospel and right. praising God, will ever die. That will always mm-hmm. exist. But I think institutionally we have a lot of, of, of work right. to do and changes we need to make. Um, so I think we, we do have to be careful with our language of when we say the church needs to die, what we're actually talking about. Right. Yeah. And the church has always, I think, in the scope of history, 2,000 years worth of it now, mm-hmm. had to remake itself constantly. Oh, the yeah. problem, I think, with, um, with a lot of us is that we don't know a whole lot of history beyond our own lives. Right. Um, Maybe we know some about our parents' lives, mm-hmm. uh, but history is a great, great teacher, and I think can be used so often 
to calm people's fears and anxieties mm-hmm. where you say, okay, I know this issue or this problem looks like it's here and it's going to blow us up and the world's going to end as we know it. Yeah. But just 50 years ago, the same type of thing was happening. Mm-hmm. 200 years ago, the same kind of thing was happening. And so people can see this is a rise and fall kind of pattern, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, we do believe as Christians in a death and resurrection theology, so you would think we wouldn't freak out. But we do. <laughs> I mean, Read if, the book, people. That's right. This I mean, is like you, part of our thing. That's right. None of us really, really wants to die, and we don't want anything to die that we feel like we helped to build. Right. We don't want to see our legacy die and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's kind of like the, the old person that doesn't want to give up the keys to the car. I mean, yeah, even you know, though they've hit three light posts. Yeah, three light posts or people aren't using cars anymore, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. Wally. And so we, you know, we really don't know what's ahead except yeah. that in our in our belief system, You know, we believe that Christ always goes before us. And Mm -hmm. even if institutions rise and fall, that there's something new that the spirits, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we go back to house churches again. Yeah. Um, You know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There's a great hymn in uh, that's kind of a golden oldie, at least for Lutherans and I'm sure other denominations too. uh, Built on a rock, the church does stand even when steeples are falling, Whoa. crumbled have spires in every land. Yeah. So. It's like they're preparing us for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. um, been, there's been some really difficult times when people felt like, you know, the world as they knew it was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that was true and sometimes it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and yet we on we go. Yeah, we're still here. Well, hot dang, Mom. That was such a great segue to uh, talking about... A little kind of laying some groundwork for those who uh, those who might not be as familiar with the Lutheran Church. I mean, those of you who are our colleagues or seminary trained or even our, our church leader folks who've been around for a long time, uh, you can either skip ahead or, or just go straight to episode two. But um, why don't you, uh, considering I was a mere 14 months when the um, ELCA mm-hmm. came about, uh, why don't you give us a little history lesson, Pastor Mary, on um, on the on the on the ELCA? Okay, and so what I'm going to just spend a few minutes talking about is our particular denomination, uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So mm-hmm. ELCA. Some people say ELCA, but you really got to be on the inside to do that. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. you can't come for a first time. And- <laughs> And then use that language. But yeah. yes, I was actually I was actually pregnant with Elise when I went to the assembly that formed <laughs> that formed the ELC. Man. So you kind of were there from the beginning. You just didn't know it. I just didn't know it. Yeah, there right. you go. Um, Lutherans have been in America since the 1730s or earlier. Mm-hmm. Depends on what territory you're looking at. Mm-hmm. But um, in uh, in the southeast, which is where we're from, so hey, you know that's I mean, our your context. Fam- your family's been in that part of South Carolina where you and Dad live now since like what seventeen fifty two, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm one of the old Lutheran German families, <laughs> the um, Schuler, the Schulers. That's right, and <laughs> Yeah. But um, so uh, you know our history as um, Protestants as Lutherans goes back to 1517 
in the Reformation era, I think most people have heard of Martin Luther, mm-hmm. different from Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Um, young people get that mixed up all the time because <laughs> they learn a lot about Martin Luther King in school. And you yeah. say Martin Luther and they think, oh, you're just calling him by his first name. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> so I always feel like I have to explain that one. Mm-hmm. But that's when our denomination started. And as we go on, we can talk more about, well, what do Lutherans of any kind believe? Yeah, we'll hit on some theology topics each episode a little bit. Yeah, we want to do that um, for a little bit as well. But in... Um, in the 1730s, there were um, persecutions going on in Europe as well as some po- bad famine. And so a lot of uh, German Lutherans escaped mm-hmm. uh, and came to the Carolinas and um, to other other parts of, you know, kind of the new world, as it was unfortunately called, yeah. as if nobody was ever here before. Right. Um, and uh, Lutherans um, historically are kind of like they're in tribes so they're ethnic groups of lutherans and this is how they came to america so german lutherans came and the reformation um beliefs and theology spread to the scandinavian countries eventually Mm -hmm. and so uh in sweden and denmark and norway and finland and iceland uh those are like state churches. The Lutheran church is the church there. Mm-hmm. And so those folks came over. A lot of the Scandinavian folks went to the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, German Lutherans, for whatever reason, tended to stay in the um, Northeast. And then a bunch of us came to the central part of the Carolinas. So what's mm-hmm. ha- what happened over time, um, our denomination, the ELCA, really did not form until... Uh, 1988 yeah and the reason for that is that over time we let our kind of let our uh, ethnic roots go Mm. Um, now there were some congregations up until and still are worshiping in Swedish or Mm -hmm. worshiping in German or maybe on holidays like Christmas Eve yeah will continue to worship in the old languages but as you can imagine silent night in German at St. Paul's because they had finally given up their German language service and it was mm-hmm. a way of holding on to one little thing. Yeah. Now we see a lot of those uh, those those roots kind of hanging on by the food or, mm-hmm. you know, just kind mm-hmm. of different things. I know um, at my internship congregation in Oregon, there was a, there was a strong contingent of Norwegian Lutherans mm-hmm. who still celebrated, you know, mm-hmm. um, Norwegian holidays and kind of that culture quite a bit. So there's little pockets of it here and there. Right. And I think in Oregon, there were folks that had moved from the upper Midwest yes, to there, right? Of, so that's where of, they... A lot of Minnesota yeah. transplants. So that yeah. kind of thing happened too mm-hmm. um so eventually those european white roots yeah um we just started having a lot more in common with each other than we did differences especially mm-hmm. when the language stuff started mm-hmm. going away and everybody was worshiping english and so forth mm-hmm. so there were two major groups um before 1988 that were in uh in America, one tended to be more Scandinavian, one tended to have more German roots, mm. and then there was a third that had broken off from the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and that only had about a hundred congregations in it. But the other two were fairly large, 
And so uh, we started for years working on, maybe we should just come together. Do we really need to have two publishing houses, right? right yeah. <laughs> Do we really need to have, you know, two of everything when we're so, so similar? And yeah, it yeah. Just, I mean, just for reasons of stewardship and then unity, it didn't make much sense. Right. So that was kind of the very practical reason mm-hmm. that, um, that they came together. And so... January. It was like the LCA and the ALC, Yes, right? American Lutheran Shockingly. Church and the Lutheran Church in America. Can Ooh, you imagine that we have anything man. in common? Goodness. I know. <laughs> so we came together um, in January 1, 1988 was really, you know, kind of the start of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And actually, I went to work for our headquarters in Chicago. Yeah, that's what took us that's from what, South Carolina to Chicago, yeah. Right. That's what took us, and you were like 14 months old when mm-hmm. we moved. Yeah. But I would also say... So our roots technically go back to 1988, but of course then more technically go back to the 18th century (laughs) and more technically go back to the 16th century, right? (laughs) But I would say too that when the ELCA came together, we were incredibly aspirational. We had all kinds of wonderful goals for Mm -hmm. ourselves. It was like, you know, being able to actually, you know, some people laugh about, well, if I could just start a whole new church myself, (laughs) it would be so awesome. And it would be like this. Well, we were kind of like that in those early days. Got real excited. Got real excited. (laughs) And one of the things we were just like super duper excited about and still are is that we were just going to be an inclusive church, right? Mm-hmm. So here you had these, you know, white European descent people coming together and saying, we want to embrace people of all colors and races. Um, we even set some goals for ourselves. Like we said, in the first 10 years, we want to be 10% people of color. Well, we are so far from that still. You just want to uh, let our listeners know who, who don't know <laughs> this. Currently, the ELCA is 97% white. Right. So part of has been a real learning, uh, <laughs> learning slash struggle, slash, you know, want to slash my wrist kind of thing about why can't we do this? Mm. And gosh, I have seen our denomination over these years throws so much money and so much time and so much sweat at trying to be more inclusive with mm-hmm. regard to race and gender. Those were our first big issues. Yeah. And, you know, especially when it came to being uh, racially and ethnically diverse, just not understanding why aren't we better at this? Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a whole different episode that we can talk about too. Oh gosh, and, and, yeah. And have a have a guest or two on, because uh, you won't need two white people talking about yeah, it for need, one thing. You need two white ladies talking about how right. to how to become more multicultural. Right. Although you know, I've walked through fire on a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. And um, but gosh, I'm still learning every day as well. And then as we've traveled on, um, still still kind of carrying the heavy, heavy burden of not being inclusive. Yeah. Um, we've also, along the way, uh, been dealing with how do we be more inclusive of gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, yeah. questioning people. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, along with race, partly because of the things that are going on in the culture that keep showing us mm-hmm. how poor we yeah. all are at it. 
Um, yeah. So I'm proud. I'm proud of some of those aspirations. Um, mm-hmm. It's sad to see that we work so hard, but um, and, and feel like we don't get very far. And yet, gosh, when I look at it, we have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of things take like a hundred years, right? You know, yeah. Or or three hundred years to yeah. accomplish. Yeah. I mean, folks had thought that once you know African Americans were able to live as free people. Um, all would be well, or even getting past the civil rights mm-hmm. era that, okay, we solved it all now, and yeah. we see, we, we see, see that that just thing. is not true. Yeah. But that's some of the stuff. No, for sure. I mean, and it's, you know, I had a great seminary professor, um, shout out to Katie Billman, uh, who uh, was very, very involved with kind of listening to students at LSTC about mm-hmm kind of what changes we wanted to see and, and issues we had. I mean, when I was there, we were one year into a new curriculum. So there was a lot going on at LSTC. And and and, and Katie, which she makes me call her. I'm not allowed to call her Dr. Billman anymore now that we're colleagues, even though it doesn't quite feel right. But mm-hmm. Katie, if you're listening, um, said a great, had made a great point. She said, you know, people people want to turn on a dime, but we're turning the Titanic. Right. You know, it takes a long time to turn these big ships. And so, you know, whether it's a seminary or, um, you know, the, something as big as the ELCA or the Lutheran World Federation, you know, it takes a really long time to, to make change mm-hmm. and to turn. And, and it's frustrating. I, knew, I know my generation especially is very frustrated with the fact that sexism, racism, homophobia are still so rampant, not just in our country, but in our church um, and in our seminaries and, and um and so there, that's kind of a big difference, too, is I think the level of patience we see mm-hmm. uh, in different generations or, or the um, sometimes the different level, levels of apathy, unfortunately. You know, kind of, mm-hmm. well, what can we do? We've been working on this since 1988, and it's still not fixed. But um, Well, and I would say patience is a huge word. Um, you know, I often say, like, when I'm, when I'm visiting people who are sick, you mm-hmm. know, have had some trauma or some injury or even Mm -hmm. just a regular surgery and it's going to be a long haul yeah because the body just takes a long time to heal sure does and i'll say okay we're going to pray for healing for you but mostly we're going to pray for patience Mm -hmm. because that is going to be the hardest thing that you're going to have to do yeah in the next six months yeah big time right and so you know um i think patience and confidence that this is God's work, not ours, mm-hmm. and not our timeline. Yeah, God's work, our hands. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and God's timeline is such a mm. tricky thing, too. I remember uh, I was uh, in a women's book group at my current congregation, and we were talking about creation, mm-hmm. right? And how, you know, in, in, our, in Genesis, it talks about creation lasting, what, seven days or something like that. And we started talking about kind of what that timeline could mean because one of the kids in the congregation asked, you know, Pastor Elise, was Jesus alive with the dinosaurs? <laughs> and um, uh, and so we were we were kind of chatting about that, and someone said, well, you know, I'm sure a week for us is a lot different than a week for God. We could still be in the week of creation. And I, my mind blew up. I was yeah. like, oh my God. What? And um, I was like, that's crazy to think about. And so, you know, we always say in the ELCA, God's work, our hands. Um, well, God's work will, will will carry on long after our hands, our hands have are decayed. done. So, yes. so, yeah, we got to keep it up. And so so I'm going to run through a little bit of the, the structure of the ELCA, because even when it even when we think about our 
our partners, uh, you know, in our, what we call our communion partners or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like our other mainline Protestants, Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopal, Catholic, things like that, uh, Baptist. Um, we have such different structures logistically. Uh, and so sometimes it's nice to kind of look behind the curtain in that sense. But um, mm-hmm. so that. Oh, let me give a word to the baby boomers real quick uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. on this. Yeah. So baby boomer colleagues, you might you might be saying, why are they talking about this? And part of it is, and Elise has taught me this, is as a younger pastor who perhaps is talking to more young people mm-hmm. than than I tend to, and unchurched people, she gets these kind of questions all the time. All the time. So we might feel like we haven't had to explain to anybody um, how our denomination mm-hmm. is structured, but I just want you to, uh, you boomer colleagues to know that um, this is stuff that millennials are having to talk about, which means that those are um, outreach questions and things that we should be concerned about as well. So Absolutely. be able to have your elevator speech yeah. ready. Yeah, get it ready. If, you, if you're wearing your ELCA uh, polo uh, into the elevator, be ready for somebody to ask you questions. And remember, elevator speech, you've got 20 to 30 seconds. 20 okay. 30 seconds. Yeah. Oh, do I? Oh, I did not realize well, that, I was on that, that doesn't time. mean you necessarily. We're not in the elevator. <laughs> We're not in the elevator yet. Well, and also, I mean, I have to explain this to members of my congregation. I mean, mean, when I was going through first call, I had to explain the process to my internship congregation. There's just, I think, you know, and I've said this to you countless times, I think one of the biggest issues that the church faces and one of the reasons we've gotten ourselves into such a deep hole in a lot of ways is the lack of transparency about Mm -hmm. a lot of things. And so even something as simple as how your pastor becomes your pastor I think is is expl- it might be a little boring, but we try our best to make it as entertaining as possible. But it's stuff that's good to know and good to be able to share with your neighbors and um, and things like that. Especially now in a time where any Joe Schmo on the block can go start their own church, right? You know, and 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 claim certain things. I mean, I, I recently watched a, a do- documentary on Scientology on Netflix, and Scientology has absolutely zero to do with Christianity, but they use a cross. Well, the guy who started Scientology wanted to use the symbol of the cross for Scientologists because Christianity was a trusted religion. Mm. So it was his way of, of drawing people in. I wonder if he still thinks that. L. Ron Hubbard? That's a trusted religion. <laughs> oh, that's a trusted religion? <laughs> uh, not, in, not in some circles, that's for sure. Good uh, luck if, with that. Good luck with that, L. Ron. Yeah, no, um, uh, Mr. Hubbard died. Well, he left his earthly body. Oh, that's right. And he's floating around waiting for his landing pad now. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so, so I think transparency is really key. So basically, the ELCA now is divided into nine um, geographic regions. And in the southeast, we're region nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, you know, the ninth of the nine. And uh, so within each region, based on pretty much the population of Lutherans in that area and the amount of churches, were divided into synods. And so just to kind of go back to um, what you were saying about where Lutherans typically settled, you know, in, in the Chicago area, there's the Metro Chicago Synod, which was the city and kind of the surrounding suburbs, mm-hmm. and because it was so dense with Lutherans. And I in- think we had, at least when 
I was ministering there. Yeah. We had like 240 congregations mm-hmm. in uh, just in our denomination. Yeah, just in Lutheran ELC. In the and, greater Chicago area. In the greater area. Chicago area. And in Minnesota, it's the synods are even smaller. I mean, they, right. in some places in Minnesota, one synod could, I'm joking here, but could be like three square blocks. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of Scandahoovians there. A lot of Scandahoovians, yeah, they're up there. But so where I'm serving now in the southeastern synod, which takes up uh, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee. And I think there's, oh, Bishop Strickland, I'm sorry if I get this stat wrong, less than 200 congregations, I think, maybe 160 in those four states. Right. So that just kind of shows, you know, how we kind of split up who who oversees Mm -hmm. what. And so, and when you go to the Southwest, it's even more sparse. It's even more sparse, yeah. I mean, Oregon manages to be its own synod, but um, they've got quite a few larger cities. I mean, in some places. So, um, so yeah. So you know, some synods are are you know a city in the surrounding area. Some synods take up multiple states. Some synods are just their own state. You serve in the South Carolina synod. It's just mm-hmm. the state of South Carolina. So each synod. S-Y-N-O-D. Which means walking together. Yes. um, Has a bishop. And the bishop of each synod is basically a pastor to the pastors of that synod. um, Helps guide us, but also guiding individual congregations. It's a lot of driving, Mm -hmm. a lot of visiting, um, a lot of putting out fires that a lot of us don't even know exist. Mm -hmm. Um, So shout out to all the bishops out there. because Good work, y'all. Good work, y'all. You're working real hard and and probably not getting a ton of thanks for it. So we appreciate you. And then um, overall, we have what's called a presiding bishop, which best maybe best comparison for those is like the Pope (laughs) of the ELCA. And our... um, our fearless leader is one Elizabeth Eaton, uh, who hailed from the Ohio, um, one of the synods in Ohio, and uh, has been our presiding bishop for what, like, well, six years plus like two years. Yeah, so, so about eight, eight years. Yeah, and she's done a really fantastic job. I know, I really like the things that she's she's done. I've been a fan girl of hers Me for too. a long time. I also am, am buddies with her daughter. We both did Yagam, and we would have, we had a long a long conversation when I was uh, her mom was still a bishop in Ohio and. And you were a pastor in South Carolina, and we talked about what it was like to be not only PK Squared, because she's a PK Squared, and also has a podcast called PK PK um, <laughs> with Becca Selnick. Uh, but um, we both talked about what it was like growing up in the '80s and '90s with super badass pastor moms, <laughs> and and we actually talked frequently about one of our moms is going to be a presiding bishop one day. Oh, and so when her mom got elected, I remember texting her and being like, "All right, you win this round." Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, so yeah, it was pretty cool. But anyway, so um, when somebody wants to become a pastor, they typically have to get the approval of whatever synod they are attending a church in and then uh to keep this very long process short for for time reasons here but um you know your your seminary experience and what's called your candidacy experience are kind of like on parallel tracks so you're going through seminary but you're also going through candidacy steps which is a series of interviews and mm-hmm. um you know papers and well and yeah evaluations. because the seminary is educating you mm-hmm. and the candidacy committee in your in the church is vetting you. Right. They got to make sure you're just crazy enough <laughs> to want to do this job, but but aren't having any problematic uh, right. barriers. So, uh, yeah. So it is a vetted process, which is something I've actually always appreciated about the ELCA is 
the professionalization of mm -hmm. the the vocation of pastor. I I always get very nervous with with some of the other either non-denominational or traditions in other in other churches where kind of the most charismatic person is the quote pastor, mm -hmm. um, and they go to like one the theology workshop online. Over, online or over a weekend and suddenly they're, mm -hmm. you know, you know, th those never end well. <laughs> um, so I, I do as, as, as much as I hate it. And this was a very recent experience for me as much as I absolutely hated the process. Um, I, I can't appreciate it for what it is. So, um, you don't get a lot of say in where you go for your first call. You can ask for, you can let them know your preferences. And if you're married, like you and dad were, you can, what's mm -hmm. called restrict to a certain region. Um, and then you get assigned to a region and then the bishops literally have a draft. We kind of jokingly call that, but it is quite literally, they sit down and say, who are our candidates and, and where might we be able to put them? You know, what gifts of theirs will match up mm -hmm. with our need? And so I was assigned to the to region nine and then bishop kevin uh you know for the southeastern synod um snatched me up and then your first call process is very creepishly similar to online dating um you get a profile the church gets a profile you decide if you want to kind of go for that first interview and then depending on the size of your of the church it can be up to four interviews um you go through a call committee the council I had to also interview slash have conversations with who is now my senior pastor, Pastor Stan. Um, I'm the associate at my church. Um, and then you have to preach for the entire congregation mere moments before they vote on if they want to to uh, to hire you. So it's, it's probably one of the most unique hiring processes, I think. In a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to med school matching. Um, I only know that because my best friend from growing up is now a doctor, and she and I were shocked at the similarities between our experiences. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, she was learning how to deliver babies, and I was learning much different things. But <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, again, like, you know, my mom was saying, it's amazing how many times I've had to explain that process. Maybe a lot of it has to do with how recent it was for me. Um, I was ordained uh, in December of 2019, but... Um, I am very surprised at how little even people who've been in the Lutheran church their whole lives mm -hmm. don't know that that's the process. Right. Um, you know, they, they either never served on a call committee or, or never really wanted to. And then all of a sudden they, they just kind of said, oh, this is the new person they're bringing in. So um, just a little bit of a background for, for those of you who might be listening who are um, not as familiar with the Lutheran process or, or even with that church process at all. Um, and might, might even be looking for a church or, or looking to switch things up or just kind of curious about kind of what we're about. You know, if there is this, there's kind of a beauty to this foundation of, um, uh, you know, if you go to a Lutheran church, there's a good chance you'll hear some similar things, even if it's just in our liturgy. Right. Um, oh, definitely. You know, you might hear some different things preaching wise, but, mm -hmm. but um, we all have to kind of go through similar hoops and similar education uh, to get where we, to get to our pulpits. So. Uh, it's kind of kind of a fascinating little little aspect of our journey, right? And one of the things that I think is uh, true for any leader who um, is called forth, um, there was a uh, there was a professor who used this image one time, and I, I it's really stuck with me. And that is that um, that you know people who become pastors or deacons or other leaders in the church. Um, where do they come from? 
they come from the pews of congregations, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like you were sitting all those years, and yeah. you know, in, in, in the front row, in the front row, giving me little <laughs> waves uh, during during the service. Yeah. That everybody, that's, or I was acolyte. Let's be real. Yeah, I oh, think I think my record was twelve weeks straight. I know. I think it was too. It was during the <laughs> summer, people. Yeah. So it was tough. <laughs> And she would never say no. She didn't always like it, but she would never say no. Yeah. Please come and be acolyte. Go do this. <laughs> but you know, kind of like the womb of where where we all start yeah. is there, in, you know, in those pews. And uh, this person was saying that it's like the the spirit calls a particular person up, or mm -hmm. the in the in the congregation approves. Mm -hmm. And says, oh, yeah, that's sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but that's a cool part, aspect, too, of the Lutheran church is that it's an inward and outward call. So that's right. a big that's a big point in the candidacy process is you might feel called to be a pastor, but mm -hmm. those evaluating you and interviewing you have to also call you right. into the system. They have to feel so that it, you're called as well. It has to be mutual. Yeah, which is both scary and, and right. It's not like deciding hey, I think that looks like a cool job. Mm -hmm. um, I, Who would say that? Well, they wouldn't, but... <laughs> we got to make it cooler. I know. So, so uh, yeah, I think I'll do that. Yeah, yeah that You're good. not in it for the money. You sure aren't. Or the fame. No. What are we in it for? Oh, the spirit. Oh, the spirit. God. God. That whole and, thing. Uh, but, but that you're called up from the pews. And uh, I thought this was an interesting thing. The person was saying... Uh, you know, this, the congregation calls you up and says, we want you uh, to be trained how to do certain things. We mm -hmm. want to be able to send you to the scriptures each week mm -hmm. on our behalf. Yeah. You study them. You go study them harder than we will. <laughs> and, then, and then, although we all know that we have people in our congregations that know the Bible backwards and forwards more than we do. Which is, is just terrifying. Right, but... <laughs> We don't have to be the experts on everything, but we're the ones that have the call to do our best to do certain things. Mm -hmm. um, I had a woman in, the, in a congregation one time uh, in, in Evanston, Illinois, where I was. She was such a feminist. E-Town? What? what? Sorry. Had to shout out to Evanston. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> Evanston. And um, she was talking to me off to the side one time about, she said, well, you know, I'm not so sure how I feel about that whole confession and forgiveness thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, you know, kind of like, and she meant this in sort of a friendly way, but she said, like, who are you to be able to forgive my sins? I can forgive somebody if I want to. And I said, I know you absolutely can. That's kind of the point. Well, I said, <laughs> you can, but you might not. I'm called to, to do it. Yeah. Whether I want to or not. Right. You know, whether yeah. I feel like this person deserves forgiveness mm -hmm. or not, I'm the, it's not about me. And it's, it's also being a vessel, an earthly vessel mm -hmm. for what we have kind of learned through the scriptures and have learned through th thousands of years of discussion where we truly believe God forgives all. Right. And so many times, even if we in our personal lives have a hard time forgiving as pastors, mm -hmm. right, we are there to remind our people that God forgives you, whether or not mm -hmm. you forgive yourself, whether mm -hmm. or not you forgive that other person. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, on God's behalf, mm -hmm. I am here saying you are forgiven as mm -hmm. your pastor. I love you and I'm representing God's love for you. 
Um, and so, you know, it's a good, re- it's a good reminder too. Yeah, like I'm speaking the words that other people might not speak to you. Right. Exactly. Which is like a very, um, heavy yoke, but, uh, that is why we wear those stoles. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, what do you think, mom? You think that's a good start? I hope that's a good start for everybody. Yeah. And, um, in future episodes, we'll have, this is very much our episode one yeah, and kind, kind of, of intro. an intro to the whole thing. So you get to hear our voices, you get mm-hmm. to hear how we're interacting yeah. and, uh, but we did want to spend some time in this first one, just kind of, I guess, putting ourselves and our theology and our history in context a little bit. Yeah. And then after this one, we'll be launching into some very specific topics. Yeah. And I want to say once again that we um, we really do encourage you as listeners uh, to send us either some um, uh, case studies, if you will, or circumstances. <laughs> yeah. uh, we will never reveal who you are, where you are, who you are, you are people's names, mm-hmm. even cities, certainly not names of congregations Absolutely, because yeah. in its own way, we want this to be uh, confidential. And our plan is certainly not to, um, uh, just tell any negative stories about people in our own congregations mm-hmm. that might be recognized um, yeah. because that's just not a part of who we are and what we want to do. Yeah, and, non-judgmental experience, you know? Right. But what we can say is, you know, somebody sent us a question about or yeah. we heard from somebody who had a situation in which something like this happened. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, if you tell... If you tell one story or episode, the thing is, that's somebody's truth in a lot of different places. Yeah, exactly. Um, None of this, I'm pretty sure, (laughs) is unique to anybody. Mm -hmm. So if something has happened to one person or one person has a question about uh, something about theology, other people do too. Yeah. So send those in to us. Yeah, and just sharing experiences too. I mean, like we said, this is this is also kind of a breakdown of generational thinking. I mean, right. I, you know, as, as you being a boomer, you've worked with a lot of millennials and have had frustrations and joys in that, just mm-hmm. as I've had frustrations and joys working with boomers and, and not right. just my careers as in ministry, but my career in sports medicine and education and all of right. that. So um, it's kind of shocking, both in funny ways and sad ways, how similar so many things can be. And, and how many times, you know, even if it's just, to vent it out or, or kind of just tell right. the universe this is happening um, to you or a story that you have uh, to know that, you know, a lot of people are experiencing that as well mm-hmm. and, and can be with you in, right. in the joys or sorrows of it. And maybe comforted in hearing that, oh my gosh, that's happened to somebody mm-hmm. else, you know, it makes you feel less alone. Right. And so we want to be able to do that too. Yeah. And we'll always try to, uh, to, you know, stay serious when, when we need to, but also kind of throw some comedy into some things as well, because right. at some point, if you don't laugh, you cry. <laughs> cry. <laughs> that what doesn't kill you makes makes, makes you, stronger, you stronger but exactly that's all we can hope i can't for. give 100 percent to that yet <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> oh my gosh we'll stay strong friends and absolutely uh, if you want to get in touch with us if you know us personally you're probably friends with us on facebook um but also we do have an email account for this podcast it's you're on mute pod at gmail.com that's all lowercase no apostrophe all one word you're on mute pod. We cannot wait to hear from you and we can't wait to bring you more episodes on on all the crazy things that make ministry both um, uh, fun and crazy. Right, right. And yeah. what a wonderful privilege we have. <laughs> yes, we can go ahead and call it that. Sure. 
<laughs> I kid, I kid. No, it's a wonderful privilege. Well, take care, everybody, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. All right. Bye, all. Bye.